retail is having a big moment right now. Consumer habits are changing, and we've all heard of the supply chain disruptions and seen the empty shelves ourselves. Meanwhile, most retailers are pivoted to an omni-channel strategy. So issues like inventory accuracy, pricing models, and waste management, they're not exactly new, but are now more relevant and impactful on customer experience, the bottom line, and the planet than ever before. So think for a second, how can retailers prepare to survive and thrive in the digital era? Today, I'm joined by Julie Rogers Vargas. She's the North America Vice President and General Manager of Avery Denison's Identification Solutions. She is the expert in redefining the retail experience for a more connected, transparent, and sustainable supply chain. We'll also discuss how SAP and Avery Denison are integrating our technologies to allow retailers to track and optimize item level data to handle recalls, manage inventories, and reduce waste. My name is Sabu Rahimi, and you're listening to the SAP Experts Podcast. Welcome, Julie Roger Vargas, to the SAP Experts Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Julie, I met you at an innovation conference last month. You were on a panel named Supply Chain for Good, a sustainable path for a better future. That's such a bold and, and really beautiful statement. Tell us a little bit about what brought you there. And what you spoke about that day. Yeah, I know it was a fantastic experience. What brought me there, you know, we've been working across multiple ways uh, in multiple industries to really understand how supply chains can turn from kind of this necessary infrastructure into an opportunity to accelerate how we um, leave a carbon footprint on this planet, but also how we become more efficient. So I've been working with partners in the industry like Shannon and like uh, Bob Carpenter at GS1 for some time to say if we could get collectively um, organized data and really understand what is needed uh, at the retail level, what we need as consumers, how can we then shift supply chains from being something that's pushed from a source into a store into something that's optimized to really maximize both goods, but also the consumer experience. I, I knew after listening to you, uh, you, you spoke so beautifully that I had to come up and speak to you. And, and uh, since then, I've had the pleasure of learning a little bit about you and, and I'm really inspired by your career path. You've, you've had the opportunity to explore a lot of different industries and roles. And uh, it looks like you really found your passion and you've been a leader in that space ever since. Can you guide us through your journey, your story and, and your origins and where you're headed? I was probably the typical person who didn't know what they wanted to do with their life, but found my way through my languages into a variety of industries, financial services to start. So really understanding what businesses were measured on um, was my early journey. That led into uh, distribution and supply chain with Coach, now Tapestry. And it was in that role that I had to do my first ever cycle count. I didn't know what a cycle count was, but it's counting inventory manually by hand 
uh, and I was assigned accessories. So I remember standing in Jacksonville, Florida, in this distribution center, counting one by one poly bags of $395 scarves going, gosh, there's got to be a better way to do this. And as an analyst, you really get excited about what data is out there. But the gap between the data you have and the physical reality of products moving became more and more apparent. I actually joined RFID Technologies in 2009, mostly around the in-store experience because I thought it was really exciting to be able to pick up a pair of Oakley glasses and understand which ones they were, where they're from, what all their qualities are. There's always a story behind the products we use. And this is, I won't give away my age, but this is pre uh, having kind of digital information as the hub in in each one of our our, our cell phones or in our mobile devices. I moved into RFID there in apparel and footwear. So this was all about, we pay people a lot of money to count things incorrectly, and they still don't have what I need um, when I go to the store when I'm, you know, holiday shopping. So when you back that up and you actually look at why is that, there's uh, been a reliance across the industry on knowing what products you have where based on what you put into that supply chain and then what's left the supply chain in a traditional way through a, a point of sale. When you start to look at this technology, it gets really exciting. Essentially, every item isn't just, you know, white sneakers, it's, it has a unique identifier on each and every one. And so the first part of my journey was really around supply efficiency across apparel and retail, adding um, through RFID, Avery Dennison's printed information on products and price tickets and care levels for decades. Now we're just taking that information and making it digitally available. So you can then start to, to make, uh, basically make your life more efficient um, by, by not manually counting things but also start to add experiences to those products. I started my journey in food in 2018, and I'll be frank, I didn't know a lot about the food industry at the time, but there's even more opportunity there because those are products that truly have an expiry. Um, The fresh products in general, there is quite a bit of inefficiency and acceptable loss built into those supply chains where I truly believe data sets and technology can flip that and say, I actually want to know what we're going to use and better align that to what we produce and, and pass through the supply chains. So where we're going next, where I'm going next, at least my personal passion, dream, I should say, is probably five to 10 years out, but I have a ton of things in my life that I don't really love doing, like figuring out what to make for dinner or figuring out which clothes are in my daughter's closet that don't fit anymore. I believe that this type of technology has a way for me to automate some of those things in my life that I don't like mm. to do manually. And then the flip side of that is I love to know the story behind products, behind the people that grow our products, behind how each and every one of us make decisions that impacts the entire world and the entire future of our planet. And this is an opportunity to do both. So that is where my passion lies. And that's what we'll continue to pursue. It's so cool that you mentioned the the inventory counts and having to do that. I think every person that's working in retail dreads those days. And I, I remember when I worked in retail, the inventory count days were so dreadful. And it was one person counting, another person following up that count. And then the third person, which is me in that role, which was to stare at them and make sure that they're not miscounting. So it was so time-consuming and labor-intensive. And I I also (laughs) don't want to age myself, but I've recently seen on TikTok, employees and and workers in in retail can now just wave the scanner gun and batch read inventory in seconds. How is that possible? And, And what enables that 
technology. Yeah. Um, and by the way, I think, I don't know what, what your experience was, but I was rarely right in my counts. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so that technology, it's basically two things. You're, you're aiming for automation. So how do you not have three people doing it manually and accuracy? Essentially, think of your standard price ticket or your standard care label. That's where your information about your garment is being printed today. Um, as an 85-year-old materials science company, we've made that paper and printed that information for some time. What we've done now is innovated a way to integrate passive radio frequency technology into that same price ticket so that each and every garment has a unique identifier. And you can wave the wand that you're waving is actually um, a reader, an antenna that's capturing those radio signals and saying, oh, I see 10 white shirts, size small. I see 22 white shirts, medium. And all of the size and skew complexity can now be read automatically. What's beautiful about that is, yes, it's more accurate um, than manually counting, but it's also more automated. So you can do it, you can do inventory in minutes instead of hours or days, and you can do it more frequently. This is enabled whether we realize it or not as shoppers. We love to buy what we want to buy when we want to buy it. So the buzzword of omni-channel retailing and buying it on my mobile phone versus online, it used to be that you only had access to the distribution inventory or some store inventory, but there was like a little bit of you know swag math to make sure we didn't sell something that wasn't on the shelf. Now that you're counting more accurately and more frequently, you can sell down to the last unit at every location where that product might be sitting. A retailer that just announced some more information on this is uh, Macy's is someone who they're picking to the very last unit um, and have had really good success on flow through on their inventory. And one of the worst experiences you can have as a customer is ordering something and then a couple hours later getting that email that says, oh, well, we actually sold this to you, but we don't really have it. So I can imagine that that alone, plus the the time and labor savings during inter- inventories outweigh the cost of implementing those uh, RFID tags. Is that the case that, that you see in the field or... Absolutely. So there's two pieces. One, for those who haven't looked at the technology in a while, and this isn't, I will geek out about the technology. It's more about the output to your point of saving time, saving some of the inefficiencies, removing those and giving a better consumer experience. But even the integration of the technology into some of the everyday products has really come a long way. And so that's not just having one sensor that reads well, that's being able to manufacture billions of them in a high fidelity, low cost way across scale manufacturing. That's been a big shift change for this industry. And that fundamentally is where I believe um, we have more, we have even more impact that can be made on um, not just knowing what you have where, like we talked about in apparel, but also if you look at the food supply chain, there's quite a few handoffs and there's quite a few components in fresh supply chains where products are traveling thousands of miles or across multiple stakeholders having automated data sets there. It's not just what do I have, but how much freshness is left and how do I make sure I get it on the shelf and sold through to a consumer that can consume it quicker and better can also save us some of the, let's call it government math that goes into, well, I need more or less this amount to make sure I have enough to make the sale. But I know that there's some acceptable loss in that calculation too. So you've mentioned the story behind the product a few times. If I were to scan uh, an RFID tag, what kind of information can that tag tell me? What is the story that I would be receiving? Yeah, and that's the part that's still in early days. So in, in today's world, your cell phone, your mobile devices don't actually have this 
type of radio frequency. A lot of people are using different connectors for it, other types of RFID like near field communications or QR codes. Again, I will stop geeking about the technology, but the short version is the data is there. So the data lives digitally. We all experience product information on Instagram, on websites, on TikTok, wherever it may be, um, that is not connected yet to the physical product in a way that has been truly a mass adoption. That's what we're working on today is how do you connect that digital story that lives in those experiences to the physical product? And the reason why I think this is even more important is because that product tends to be the only thing that really is the um, consistent experience in the process. So we used to be able to kind of go into the store and see the merchandising or have someone tell us about it. Now with the, the rise of e-commerce and secondary markets, I want to know the first and the secondary life of my you know, high-end sneakers. How do I do that? We're just starting to piece that together to something that can live on the garment in a meaningful way. Uh, we're doing a lot of that with visual connectors. So we all got super comfortable with QR during uh, during COVID, but also really exciting stuff like invisible watermarks and other types of augmented reality technologies. Another thing you spoke a bit about was food. And um, you, you've worked in that space for some time. So what can a head of lettuce gain from having an RFID label? I'm just going a little extreme here, but uh, you get the picture, right? I like it. We'll start with the consumer and work back. That's always where we want to start. So there's two things I want to know. I want to know it's fresh and I want to know it's safe. Safe, we take for granted a lot. If I can buy it in my local store, it means it's safe. The challenge in the current data set is if there is a recall, and we've all heard of those recalls, we tend to throw away everything. So there's a significant amount of waste in the scenario where, hey, it may not be safe, um, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna dump it. And that's a, that's an environmental savings. The fresh piece gets really exciting. I want to know that when I buy it, I have the freshest product, but also kind of how much time do I have to use it? What does that look like? If you go back in the supply chain, you also want to know lettuce, but also seafood and meat. How is it raised? Where is it grown? Is it fairly local? I mean, 50 to 60 years ago, you knew the person that grew your food. Now you don't think twice about it, but I do think arming consumers more and more with knowing where their products are from and who grew them and how long they've been in transit and how fresh they are really is a step change for how we think about the food we consume. I guess the big picture here is having that transparent supply chain and, and kind of sustainability comes with it too. Why is that important to our consumers? Like what kind of takeaway do they have from that? It's a good question and I'm going to say something controversial. I don't know if it's that important or as important as it should be yet. So one of the main drivers is still back to efficiency. So even think about early days apparel. When I went to a store, I didn't, before I worked in a place where I did a cycle count, I didn't understand the value of it. There's still an efficiency gain. Right now, there's a big chunk of us that just want to buy the lettuce and make sure it's there and I'm good to go. As more recalls come through, people are getting more conscious about, is this truly safe? But longer term, I'm seeing a real shift in our consumer and the way we consume products to say, I also want to make sure that it's responsibly sourced and it is reliable. Having that information, I think, can shift the way we as consumers think. We don't like to think about it because it is one of the most wasteful things we do. I mean, food is responsible for globally 33% of the, the food waste. It's one of the largest contributors from a carbon perspective. And, and so it's so big and massive. You're like, well, what, what does my one head of lettuce really matter? I do think that arming 
socially conscious consumers will be the start of really driving a broader consumer behavior that says, I want to be conscious about what I buy and what impact it has on, on the future generations, but also table stakes. I want it to be safe and fresh. And so that's kind of where we're getting started with the work today. In terms of adoption, right? We, we've seen this work in a lot of uh, fashion uh, retailers. Do you think uh, those super or mega retailers are on track to adopt this type of technology? Are they hesitant? What, what does that look like for you? Yeah, it's a, and, and I think it's one of the challenges that makes this most messy. And I'm guilty of it. I'm even guilty of it four or five times in our, in our talk so far today. It won't just be one technology. And I think one of our challenges right now is to say the problems for those retailers and grocers and you know, actually the entire supply chain is we all have very aggressive sustainability goals. So we know we want to reduce um, our footprint service well the, and be socially conscious of where we're producing and sourcing things. There really isn't a great way to measure that today. So adding this technology, but other technologies that complement it can really solve this problem. It all comes down to data, comes back to standards that Bob talked about. How do you make sure that your physical products can, in an automatic and accurate way, share the information and break down the silos and blocks of kind of outdated databases in a way that we can have a step change to really drive true movement towards sustainability? So are retailers looking for this specific technology? Probably not, but almost all of them say that they're going to get better at reducing waste, at driving more efficiency in their supply chain, at finding a way to increment profitability for their shareholders. This is one of those things where waste is built into the model. So in the middle of that financial equation, we just assume a couple of points of our profit are going to be thrown in the garbage because we have to have those shelves full. We have to make sure it's the the greenest lettuce that's in the front. All of those decisions are made for us as consumers. But if we as consumers knew that that meant that food may not end up feeding livestock or feeding into a secondary supply chain circular economy, but ending in a landfill, we may make different decisions about what we expect in those stores. That's the shift change they're looking for, for their shareholders and their customers. And they will require data sets and and the technology that can get those data sets. They're probably already late to that party, as we heard from a couple of our colleagues across the uh, Innovation Festival, we have less and less time um, to really make a step change in the food supply chain. And so technology will be one way for us to accelerate that behavior. You're really big on connecting the physical to the digital, and this is what you're enabling here. So if you are, let's say, a store manager at a big retail store, from what I hear, you're able to see on, on some kind of a platform how much of your food has gone to waste or like where everything is coming from. Describe what kind of decisions that store manager can make with that. Biggest place is really around the, and there's a lot of different places that people work on parts of this today is demand forecasting. So the biggest part is knowing exactly what the right amount of inventory is for my store based on what I'm going to sell. Back to our apparel examples, it can't be empty, can't, can be missing from the shelf because I'll miss a sell. But it also can't be too much or it will end in the garbage, right, if if it's something that is perishable. So that type of exact calculation, leveraging this type of data set to know not just, you know, weekly or monthly, but daily by physically counting the goods, understanding how much is there, when it's going to expire, 
actually even stocking the shelves based on the products that you need, how much freshness they're arriving with. All of those data sets now say as a store manager, I have confidence that I have the right products on the shelf for the right demand and um, that I can continue to adjust my buying patterns based on, on what I see. Now we won't get perfect, we'll never get totally there. So then I also know, hey, I have one day freshness left or two days freshness left. I can look at dynamic pricing to say, hey, maybe you can catch me on a day that I'm actually gonna take my food from the supermarket home to make dinner and I'm willing to save some money because I only need one day of freshness to make the salad that I have planned tonight. Those types of consumer behaviors actually could get really exciting because if I don't need seven days of freshness, don't charge me the extra just because somebody else doesn't have good meal planning, which that's actually usually me, um, but give me some form of dynamic pricing and availability based on that could get really interesting. And the rise of grocery you know, delivery and the rise of fresh food vending, there's all sorts of new places we want fresh food. Knowing how to combine those into one supply chain and inventory also gets really exciting. So the store manager may say, I, I may run out, but I have confidence that I can get it to you, to your home in less than two hours. Okay, that might look different from a modeling perspective. Dynamic pricing, I want to get into that a little bit. Last month, I was at one of my favorite stores and I saw a gallon of milk that was going to expire tomorrow for 50 cents. I love making yogurt at home. So I was like, this is perfect for making yogurt. And I ended up buying two gallons and, and had some great delicious yogurt. So I, I imagine a lot of retailers would just say, let's just throw it away or it's just not worth the effort to mark things down. Or I, I think the way things usually work now, they reduce the price and then they have to go back and bring it up to the normal price. And now what you're essentially saying is gone are those days, you can just kind of uh, auto price things. How will that work? Is that still in the works? Yeah, it's still in the works. I think today there's, it's a very manual process, right? And so we kind of have to allow for, maybe it's at two days, that then you assign someone to do the manual task of remarking the pricing or separating out the goods. And then when it goes close to expiry, are you donating it? Is there a secondary market? Is there something else you're going to do with it? Or does it end in, in, in the trash? Um, all of that is a manual task that is associated to kind of broad sets of data that aren't necessarily exact um, in nature. You're, you're trading that out for, how do you actually think through that as a, as a model um, in a way that you could say, hey, this type of movement, you might even think through a whole store looking differently. This is this is the discount area. It has one day less of or one day left of freshness and it's X percent off. Um, there's still a lot to be determined around how you would do it. But right now, as consumers or at least as retailers, we don't really find that acceptable. We're OK. Usually markdowns get hidden somewhere where no one can find them. And it's kind of a a dirty secret we like to hide in the corner because it means that we didn't do a great job of demand planning or we didn't have enough sold through. So there's still a lot of work to do around what does that retail environment really look like? And I honestly think consumers are driving some of this by themselves. So we have trends around ugly produce. We have the ability to actually go back to like local milk delivery from your mm -hmm. farmers. So there is a shift back to local that could be a great opportunity for retailers to say, what if I change this whole model from just having so much available that you can definitely get almost anything you want back into what do you really need and at what freshness do you need it? And what are the markets I can expose for you? I think 
I want to take a little step back and talk about Avery Dennison and a little bit to give a little bit of context. I, I know about your company through my family's old business. We did a lot of car wraps and signage. So I got to know Avery Dennison through your adhesives. And I'm also familiar with the Avery brand office supplies, which I found out y'all sold, I yeah. think back in 2013. So uh, I'm sure you can imagine my surprise when I'm attending this event and this quote unquote sticker slash material sciences company is talking about sustainable supply chains and, and digital transformation. Yeah. Can you connect the dots for me here? Like, where did you guys start from the, and, and what is what does this look like in your vision? Yeah, it's a great one. And it's one that um, I get a lot. Um, and it's interesting because we actually spend most of our time putting other people's brands on things. So our founder created the self-adhesive label, and that's led to a lot of packaging and material sciences. We have been either putting information on product or a brand on product, and that's all products across all industries for some time. So chances are you're looking at something, your shampoo, wine, um, your price tickets, your care labels, your footwear, something on there that says information or shares the brand is likely um, a product or, or part of our product portfolio. What does that mean? Well, now that you're talking about the intersection of, okay, are we a digital marketing or a digital advertising agency? No, but we, we already agreed that digital life kind of lives today for the brand on the product. It tells the story online. On the physical product, um, there's still an opportunity to connect those two together. So since we've been printing information or putting branded information on these products at scale across large industries, that's been the entry point. So it's not like we, you know, kind of intentionally hold this place at the beginning of the supply chain where you're putting really important information like when was it made, who made it, where was it made, uh, what's the other type of you know third-party data sets of how many were made and, and where is it going next in the supply chain. But because it's going onto the physical packaging and we're printing a lot of that information, that's also a step to capture it digitally. And as we capture it digitally, that is a source origin set that can now feed into that story when you can connect that to something that can be tied to the digital information, the digital life that already exists for brands and these different platforms, you now have this magic space where I don't have to go and you know, search for something on my phone. I can actually use my device to interact. And my long-term vision is our environments are already connected. So how do things in those environments start to collude on our behalf or give us experiences where we want them, like a table in a restaurant telling me the story of my wine, showing me videos of the vineyard. There are lots of opportunities that are really starting with, you have to know what's in that product, who made it, when it was made, all of those data sets that just inherently happen to be printed onto the packaging today. So that's really our intersect in the, in the process. Julie, I don't want to dig too much into it, but now that you've kind of bridged the gap from physical to digital, it invites the question of how it plays out with some of the other emerging technologies, let's say AI or mixed realities, for example. Yeah. So if you think about it, all of those experiences run on the rails of the content that's created. So think of us as the source information content. Uh, content. So 
again, we'll use a we'll use a sneaker for the sake of simplicity. I know what it's I know the materials that go into it. I know when it was made, I know what country it was made in, know where it's destined next. If it can interact, I can I can help people register it, all sorts of other pieces. That is one of the rails that kind of opens up a data set. Now there's tons of other data sets out there as well. So um, obviously you know, SAP is, is a massive uh, part of that data set. Other types of, of, of entities like the weather and you know kind of the, the social social media environments, those are all aggregating data sets. This is one of those core things that allows those experiences to happen based on the information that the product itself can carry, almost like a birth certificate, right? There's a lot of things that can be added to it through its life, but that birth information stays constant and can open up the door to connect it to richer digital experiences or more efficiency in in knowing what you have and where you have it. That's so interesting. I've never thought of it that way as a little birth certificate for every little product that I owned. It's so beautiful. Um, So you mentioned SAP. Last month, SAP and Avery Dennison announced a really exciting partnership um, that combines your item level insights from your tags with with our SAP technologies. Uh, What does that mean for our customers and especially retailers? Yeah, I think this goes, it, it means a lot of the things we're talking about today. So um, the the one, it's basically taking all the capabilities that live today, especially in a lot of the work that you've done in, you know, kind of demand analytics and, and the analytics cloud. It's adding the birth certificate layer of information down to the item level in a way that we can say, okay, we know roughly the, the the life of white shirts on this SKU across the supply chain. But now if we have item level data that's being fed in at origin or when it's being read across retail stores, how do you take that data set down another level and even get more precise, specifically when it comes to demand planning and reducing waste? I'm really ex- excited to see where this partnership goes. Um, I think... We're we're kind of getting towards the end of end of this podcast. I want to understand what excites you the most about the future. I get really excited about the future, and in, in a way that I I could go on for like twenty minutes. So I'm going to try not to because we are getting towards the end. But there's a there's a bigger piece of this that says even if you just go back ten or fifteen years how you knew if your product was authentic, where it came from, kind of the trust that existed just inherently, but the information we had was scattered and and minimal at best. We now have at our fingertips experiences and data sets that are so incredibly rich, but we still haven't figured out how to kind of dissect them. And back to your question on the store manager, put them into context that says, I actually know what to do with all of this information. That's where I think we're heading next. And what I get really excited about is, and I've gone through all the trends, right? So I was in the omni-channel trend, in the blockchain trend, in all of these trends, and even the metaverse coming next, um, or coming now, maybe is a better way to say it. All of those trends go back to one thing, that we as people and as consumers, there's some stuff that we love doing and we want to dig into really rich content and communities where we can share that and experience it in ways that continue to evolve and change. And that's metaverse. That is where we're going next. That is this inherent connection of community to know where your products come from and the name of the the vineyard um, or the person running the vineyard and their life story. We want to dig into all of those stories. The other side of that is there's also a ton of stuff that honestly we spend a lot of time on trying to figure out that could be automated in our daily lives. And so 
that's the piece where this undertone of now we have big data, that's great, but it still has to be mined. Once you mine it and you can convert it into just go do these things for me in my life and automate them and give me a chance to use that data set to get even deeper, richer, broader, larger community experiences. It's really exciting. Now, I also know that there's a ton of people listening right now that are like, that is not me. I don't want you to know anything about what I do. I don't want my phone connected. You know, we gave up our privacy to watch cats play the piano on YouTube. And so that ship has sailed a little bit. But I firmly believe the next set of data kind of mining will be I also get to choose what I opt in and opt out of. So if I want to have these deep, rich experiences in the metaverse, but I don't want them to intersect with information in my life around what I'm buying and what I'm doing, I get to choose. I'm the owner of my data set in a way that's way more empowering than it is today. I think we all feel a little bit out of control. You know, we all have that moment of paranoia, like, how did this browser know? Uh, you know, which cookies did I forget to turn off? I think we'll get much more mature and intentional around using that data set as individuals to be better consumers, to be better activists, to be better participants in our communities and society where we want to be. And I think that's an incredible opportunity for all of the companies that service us as consumers today. Wow. I, th- I think we could have a whole another 30, 40 minutes to just talk about the metaverse and, and having the the ownership of our own databases. And, and yeah. I, I think that'll be definitely something that I'd like to speak to you about in the future. Um, and is there anything else that we did not talk about today that you'd like to share with our audience? Um, Anything else that that really piques your interest? I think the only thing I'll share is that it doesn't all happen at once. So it is small steps. It is small, small movements. We can look back 10 years ago and go, whoa, so much has changed. It didn't change overnight. It happened in small moments. And I think that is one thing I probably got us into some really big ideas. I'd love to remind us all that it all starts with with one step. And I think that's where our intersect is very specific to that one that one piece. But I, I'm, I'm really excited and bullish on where we can enable our world from there. So I just greatly appreciate the, the chance to participate in this conversation with you. And I think we have so much we can influence and change as individuals. And that gets lost sometimes in the big waves of technology as they move. I'm so excited to see where that goes and and I'm really happy to be in touch with you and and get to have you as a guest. Uh, And and last thing, where can our audience learn more about your work and follow you and your your innovations? So um, I'm Julie Rogers Vargas on all of the channels. Um, And then AveryDennison.com. There's a section called Identification Solutions, all sorts of interactive capability to kind of see what this looks like in supply chains and for food industries and tons of fun stuff to play in around there. Um, Or reach out to me directly. I'd be happy to connect and walk through what it could mean for you. Great. Thank you so much, Julie. I've, I've really had an incredible time. I've learned so much from you in this such short time and, and I'm sure our guests feel the same. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you. There you have it. That was Julie Rogers Vargas on how her company, Avery Dennison, in collaboration with SAP, is bringing digital transformation down to the item level for retailers. Her details are in the show notes. Thank you for listening to the SAP Experts podcast. My name is Sabu Rahimi.